This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. busy with a series and um, if, you're, if you're visiting here, just bear with us a little bit and this is the last one of three, three um, sermons on the simplicity of Christ and so if you're visiting us, just hang on. Um, so if you have been here the last two Sunday mornings, then <clears throat> the Lord bless you and um, I'm going to just repeat one or two of the main scriptures so that we sort of catch up and then we're going to put on our seatbelts and then we're going to go for it. Um, I want to start with a question. We, we ended with a question last week, and we asked, like, how do we as the church um, not just, in a sense, stand against culture, but how do we transform in our culture? And one of the big things in our culture is a culture of consumerism. I was watching um, the highlights or some of the highlights on um, on the masters, you know, those things, the masters is like the golf. It's that thing that you play with this little ball and then people like check how you play with this ball, you know, um, and, and they, you get this. It's actually very funny, you know, thousands of people and millions of people watch how people take a little ball and try to get it in a hole, you know. It's, it's, it's actually humankind is actually very simple, um, you know, and then we like, but so now that now there's this guy, Tiger Woods and, 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 and I actually felt so bad for the other players because everyone just is there around Tiger Woods. He's not even the leader, you know. So you don't see anything of the leaders of this Masters. You just see Tiger Woods, you know. Everybody just check Tiger Woods, you know. And then when he hits the ball, it's the worst shot probably. Then, they, then the guy, the people scream, get in the hole, get in the hole. And you think like, no, that's in the bush, you know. What hole in the bush, you know. So... Um, some of you have got no idea what I'm talking about. It's called golf. Okay, golf. And um, and then he hits into the woods. And then the people, Tiger Woods, you know, woods, gets into the woods. But so then, then the people run and they just like trip over each other and they go stand around Tiger, you know. Let's have a worship Tiger moment, you know. And then I think like the poor leaders, nobody shows anything about the leaders. This guy, the leader shot his best round ever. Um, you know, it was like a course-breaking record, but they don't show one shot of the leader. And I think, like, it's actually so amazing <laughs> that, you know, nobody's asking the question. The poor, you know, we, we're going to rather watch the guy and worship the guy than actually watch golf. <laughs> um, and, and that's so typical of, typical of our culture because, hey, Tiger makes money and Tiger, everybody worships Tiger because that's great, you know, and he's an American. But it's so typical of our consumer culture. It's so typical of we, we want to, you know, if we can get it, if we can get around Tiger, he's, he's our, and I'm not blaming Tiger for that. I'm just saying that's part of our culture. And if we as the church don't understand that God has called us to transformation and not to conform to the patterns of this world, not to, to be like the world, then we'll fall into that same trap. So we're going to just read some scriptures again. That we started with two weeks ago, Second Corinthians 11 verse 2, it says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest thou somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we spoke about this idea, well, how can our minds be corrupted? Well, it's through conforming to this world, conforming to the things of this world. 
And how should we as Christians live differently than the world? Um, I'm not saying go up into the mountains and build your little house there and be a mon in a monastery and a monk and try to withdraw from the world. But the challenge is we are in this world. And he, and he says, I, I actually, I have this heart church to actually commit you to Christ like a virgin comes to, to a husband. I, I want to I betroth you. I'm jealous. There's a godly jealousy in my heart because I realize there's a lot of things going on for your heart. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of stuff and issues that's going to come your way. And he says, hey, later on, he says, I'm, I fear that another, if another Jesus or another spirit or another gospel is preached, you're actually going to fall for that because your minds have been corrupted, he says, from the simplicity that is in Christ. Second scripture we read in Acts 2 at the end, you can read all those verses, but just highlighting on this one verse. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. And simplicity of heart. So we looked at the simplicity of our minds, of our, of our hearts, that we can walk with a singleness, a generosity, a bountifulness, a purity, a cle clearness. I like that word, to be clear on why we're here. And, um, you know, if, if you and I realize that, that we are just passing through, this is not your home. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, this is not your home. <laughs> I, I hope we believe that, you know. This is not our home. We are passing through as Christians. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're passing through this life, sort of almost spectators to this life. And then we went on in Matthew 6, where Jesus spoke a lot about this generosity of heart. And we're going to come back to that. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, go and look and find any persons. Go and ask them. Don't ask them, where's your heart? Go ask them where your treasure is. And where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. It's not the other way around. We say, yo, yo, if you're passionate about something, then you're going to go and commit to that thing. Nuh-uh. Where you have placed your treasure, your heart will be there as well. So, so the question is, what do we spend our time with? What do we spend our energy on? What do we spend our lives on? Where is our treasure? And, and when you find somebody's treasure, you'll find their heart as well. They can say all the other things, but just go find their treasure. <laughs> you know, lacquer, lacquer. It's getting very quiet because we all want to listen to the rain on the roof. But here in 1 Timothy 6, it says, But to those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, <coughs> which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. He says, run away. Flee these things and pursue. What should we pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says that there's a lot of things, but especially the things of this world. Materialism. That is one of our big things that... We're trying to say, oh, yeah, Lord, you're Lord of my life. But is Jesus really Lord? That's the question. 
And, and let, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, this whole three sermons came out of uh, us being in Burundi and there was nothing. There was no electricity. There was just really nothing. Just fire and wood and bush and Jesus. You know? <laughs> and Jesus was enough. But it's amazing how you, how we so get used to stuff. And then we very slightly through our culture, we trade the important for the not so important. We focus. It's just that singleness of mind. What, what are we focusing on? And not just spiritual things, but also our relationships. The, the, the things that are Im important to us is not the stuff out there, but the people around us. And the value of the presence of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. So turn to your neighbor and say, why are you so quiet? There's not a lot of amens, but it's because it's probably so cold. Let's blame it on the cold and not the conviction. Okay. <clears throat> Listen to what Richard Foster says. And we're just sort of thinking again, because I, I realize a lot of people these days, they come to church like once every three weeks. So we just want to bring you with, with the conviction and with what, is God, with what God is saying. It says, our need for security has led us to an insane attachment to things. The mass media has convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. To be out of step with fashion and the things of this world means you are out of step with reality. And that's why the question we ask is, are we going to conform or are we going to transform? Are we going to say yes to the consumerism? And one of the big things that um, that you you can go and research it, but there's there's a whole like idea that this whole consumeristic culture and advertising they they have a whole way of thinking because right about the 1970s they decided you must go and look at some of those those first ads that came out you know when the TV and 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 radio was just there they they advertised stuff because of the value of the product that's why they advertised. They said, this is a good product, and let me tell you why this is a good product. So you can invest because this product is very good. Its value is great. It's, it's worth something. Then they decided, well, sure. No, no, no. Let's, let's create another way of thinking. Let's create a need that people don't have and tell them they have it. And let's play into their emotions and their senses and their sensuality. And, and let's create a need that they don't have and make them think they do have it. So they shifted from value, from riches, to need and what people think they need. And so now you get this advertising with a car, this fancy car, and there's a half-naked woman next to the car. And then they say, well, if you, get that, if you buy that car, you're going to get that woman. So it's all based on lust and greed. It's all based on that. And, and if we think of consumerism and the way the world is working, that will, you will never be satisfied. And so the question is about satisfaction and sufficiency. And, and, and do we then, because once you're there, you, you're not going to have, a, you, you're going to say, well, I don't have enough. And that's how lust works. There's actually a big study on lust that, that says there are 16 different levels. And when you, start with something you you it's never going to be enough because it does not satisfy you it will never satisfy you if you live out of lust or greed but when you live out of love 
the essence of love is not receiving, it is giving. While the essence of greed and lust and those things are, I want to receive. And if I have enough, then I'm going to be able to give. And that's how consumerism works. That's how the culture of the day works. And so we, we think, well, yeah, it's just on the advertising business, but it has crept into the church. Because we run in, we want, we want the church, oh, you know, if, the, if that pastor's jokes isn't funny, you know, then I just move on. Or if it's, you know, if it's too rainy, then it's just like I check the weather before I check what. But I'm speaking to the converted. I mean, so, so it's great that you're here. Okay, you, you, you went through the, the, the weather this morning. Okay, so, so we, we spoke about this consumerism and the the question is, do we then also bring that into the church? Matthew 10 verse 7 says, And as, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. So if we say yes to that type of lifestyle, we are compromising and we are saying no to something else. And it was so, so amazing. Many of you heard the testimony when Angus said last Sunday night, about this boy that we prayed for in the foyer before the time. He had cancer from when he was 10. Then at 12, again, they cut out stuff out of his ribs and his lungs. And at 14, again, he's now 15. And on Monday, they sent some of the tests back. On Tuesday, they, they went to see the doctors. And he's completely healed. Praise Jesus. Amen. That's like amazing. So God, and and just hearing some of the testimonies, you know, the the one lady, um, I think it was Bianca. Bianca, come share that testimony quickly of that security lady. Come, I'm going to put you on the spot now. I don't, I can't say it because I'm going to add some spice that's probably not there. Okay, so um, we were on the, the team that was supposed to pray for people afterwards. But then the altar call was so big that we actually couldn't get to the people. So people were raising their hands, but we couldn't get through. So obviously you saw people on the other side standing there. And then um, I just started praying where I was. And then the security guard pulled on me. And he's like, hey, is jij een van die wat vir die mense bid? <laughs> like, hey, are you one of those that are going to pray for the people? I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you please pray for me? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, of course I can. So then I turned around and um, started praying for her. And she just started sobbing and weeping. And um, yeah, then I just had to run out to go fetch some some toilet paper because we didn't have any tissues with us because um, we couldn't get to the, the box with the tissues. Um, and then afterwards, she just started confessing and she was just so happy um, yeah, that she could be part of us. So, yeah, praise Jesus. <laughs> praise the Lord. So even if security God. So we, there's another guy that said the moment when he walked in, when the worship started, he just started to weep uncontrollably. He said he's never wept so much like an hour and a half. He just kept on weeping. Eventually, everybody around him just gave all their tissues and all their stuff, and there was no tissues left anymore. But see, that's the value of the presence of God. When we don't just assume stuff, but we realize, like, what is valuable in our lives? What is the stuff? What is our true riches? And this is, you know, if, if, we, if we as the church in the West are going to not make a shift Firstly, in the way that we live, the way that we see things, we're going to be into trouble because there's a generation coming that are just consumers, entitled, and they're not going to come to church if we bring them anything that is not real. 
So what, what is the millennials and all these young people looking for? They're looking for the real Jesus. They're looking for the authentic Jesus. And that means there are authentic and real people that have relationship with him, but they are free from the things of the world. They are free from the corruption of the mind. And that's why, you know, there's, there's a, a scripture in Matthew, Mark chapter 4, and it's talking to, this, it's in the context of the seeds that are sown. So in Mark chapter 4, it says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. It says, some of the word, even as we're sitting here this morning, some are being taken by the ravens, the stuff in the air, which is demonic stuff, spiritual stuff, distractions in our lives. But it says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. They hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Entering in, entering into their hearts, entering into their minds, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So it says, part of the seed, because this is the sower, he's sowing. And he says, there are three things that happens to the word in their lives. Three things that has entered in. They hear the word. They actually hear the word. So they are open to hear. They're open to grow. They're, they're Christians. They want to hear the word. And they, hear the, they actually hear the word. They're in a position where they can hear the word. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches... And the desire for other things entering in. It's the wrong desires. It's for other things. Choke the word. So it means you can have a biblical desire and a biblical hunger for God and for the kingdom. And you can have other desires. So I'm, I've got another question. I like asking questions. So I want you to talk to your neighbor just two minutes. In those three things, what do you, what do you think is the cares of this world, or what do you think is the deceitfulness of riches, and what do you think are just practical desires for other things? Quickly, talk to your neighbor. But in your own life now, in your own life, don't say, you're your pity out there, you know? I know, oh, pity has got lots of cares of this world, you know? But what do you think are some of those things that enter into our lives, maybe in your own life? So we're getting, get a bit personal. If you want to, otherwise, just sit and stare at the roof and listen to the roof. actually spent hours on on just that little verse, those two verses. Um, Sebastian, come here qu quickly, will you, Sebastian? Ace. So, so it, people hear the word, but because of desires and other stuff, it says what happens to the word, what, what happens when I choke him? If I choke somebody, he cannot, he cannot breathe. Okay? And, and that's what happens to the, it says there, because of the entering in of those things, the cares of this world, its burdens on us, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things to fulfill us, it chokes the word. Are you also coming to be choked? But it means eventually you cannot breathe. You will die. Thank you. Okay. Are you all right? 
Okay, there's a doctor over there. She can pray as well. Okay. But, but we, we don't understand how powerful this is when we realize that these things actually choke us. And it chokes the word, the, the incorruptible word in our lives. It comes to steal, robs you. When you trade the desire for God for the desire for other things and the desire of the world. And, and the problem is just that stuff is a quick fix. <laughs> it, it's it's going to satisfy you for a very short time, but it's actually going to choke you. And then it enters into your life. It enters into the way that we think, the way that we do. I read an article um, this week on... I can't remember the guy's name, but he says about um, how parents, if they don't bring their kids to church, now they grow up and they think eventually their kids are going to love church and love the fellowship and the presence of God. But he says there's no way it's going to happen. Because if you plan your relationship with God around the weather or around your weekend, how can you expect your kids are going to have a love for the church if you don't model it? Because you're setting out a value. Is it about coming to church every week? No, that's what I'm saying. It's about a value. It's about how do we value the true spiritual riches? Now, let's look at some scriptures. Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians because it talks a lot about this. And I wish we had a lot of time, but you can just jot, jot down these scriptures if you want to get practical. Okay, the Bible talks about true spiritual riches, and we spoke about it last week a little bit about how Peter walked up to the gate beautiful, and then he says, money, gold and silver I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And from the word go, when Jesus sent out the 17, Luke chapter 10, one of the trainings he gave them is he says, when you go into a house, if they receive you, then leave your peace there. If they don't receive you, withdraw your peace. Go on and shake off the dust, he says. So what is like true spiritual riches in our lives? And what are we trading? Are we trading the worldly things for what truly what we have? And there's a lot of principles about this in, in the Bible when it talks about the talents. You know? The, the guy with the one talent, there were three guys. The one with the ten talents received a lot because it multiplied. But the one with the one talent, he says the following. He says, Master, I have perceived you to be a man who reaps where you have not sown. Therefore, because of my perception of you, I have taken my talent and I've hid it in the ground because I'm afraid of you. And then in some of the Gospels it says, what he has, even don't, even if he doesn't have it in his own mind, take it away. Because there's a lot of people that don't value the right things. Because the world is trading, it says value that. Value your comfort more than what you value, the riches of his glory, the riches of his grace, the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And I love this one in Ephesians 3 verse 8. It says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
So the good news is when you and I embark on this journey of knowing God, <clears throat> make a peace with it. It's a journey that's going to continue till you die into eternity. But we get lied to because of a consumer culture that, hey, I've been there, bought the t-shirt. Oh, yeah, I was also young and then I went on missions and I was on fire for the Lord. But now I've grown up. But what have you done? You've lost your passion. You've lost your desire for God. You've lost your desire for true spiritual riches. And I'm, it's a bit hard, but I'm, I'm not saying, I'm generalizing. But it's so easy to trade because something else has entered in. The desire for other things, the desire even for our comfort, for just like being in control sometimes. Because, hey, it's a crazy world, so if I can be in control of my world, hey, then at least I can put out all the other stuff. But then what do I do? I trade it and there's no more faith, there's no more passion, there's no more hunger for God. But he says there's the unsearchable riches of Christ that every day when you wake up, you realize like, wow, God, the more I get to know you, the, the more I know how little I know you. <laughs> And so what we do is we lose our wow for God. We lose that desire for God because of a culture that enforces itself on us. And we don't even know it that through our front door it enters in. And it's not even more in our front door anymore. It's in our pocket. It's in that phone in the pocket. It's in that television in front of us. Okay. It's entered right in. There was a guy, David Wilkerson, he, like years ago, before television was around, he said, God showed him a dream that the devil comes into every person's bedroom and every person's house in a little black box. That was long before you go, go, and, go and check it. Dave Wilkinson, the guy who wrote The Cross and the Switchblade, he had a prophecy of the fact that the world will enter into every home and then that will start to be the breakdown of the family structure and family life. The things that are valuable to us. And so the question today is, what is our true spiritual riches? What is the unsearchable riches of Christ? And what are we trading for? What is truly valuable is the spiritual things. It's the glory of God. It's the presence of God. It's the communion with God. It's the life with God. It's our relationships that we have with one another. Or is it the things of the world? And, and it's, it's, it's so simple, and yet it's so profound when we make a switch in our hearts, and that's where it needs to start. It needs to start where you and I say, sure, Lord, I've become bored with you because I've actually traded the things of the world for a revelation of who you are. And the amazing thing, the good news is that's why the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come to help us to, to move out of that distraction, to be able to worship God. That's why we need the Holy Spirit more than ever. We need the fullness and the supernatural in our lives too. Because we actually need deliverance <laughs> from a lot of things of this world. We need a deliverance from that distraction to be able to say, Hey, when I worship, I'm not going to get bored because I realize my mind is actually a bit corrupt. I've been corrupted. But when the word comes in, it's called the incorruptible seed. And when the Holy Spirit breathes on that word, we are transformed. And I love what Pastor Jan said a couple of weeks ago. He said, like, hey, it's impossible to be a Christian. <laughs> God's standard, it's impossible. You can't do it in yourself. So that's the good news. So we start with surrender. We start to place our value again in what is true spiritual riches. 
And that's why the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and our life in the Holy Spirit and, and the presence of God, that's what we must value. That's why when we take communion this morning, it's when we have to stop. And the Bible says, how, how often you do it, remember, <laughs> get your mind to be in order. Leave those things in the world and, and sit around the table of the Lord and remind yourself of what Jesus has done. As often as you do it, not just like once a month in church, as often as you do it. Why? Because we as the human race, we trading many times. We're allowing the spirit of the world to come in. And they don't realize like, hey, we just look just like the world. And that's why the Holy Spirit has come. It's not the spirit. It's not the, whoo, the cool, the whoo, you know, ride the wave of Jesus thing. It's called the Holy Spirit. Because that spirit of God will separate you unto God. He will make you holy. It just means to, I live differently. I've been set apart to God. I've been set apart by the word. And I've been set apart from the world. I'm not in this world. I said to a guy yesterday, I said, you know, because even sometimes, do you know, even like marriage, marriage is going to cease. Just your marriage is even just a practice round because you're not going to be married in heaven. Then we're going to be married to one. Just, just imagine that moment. There's going to be no distractions. Every, all focus is going to be on Jesus. Whoa. Sure, I'm looking forward to that day. You're not going to see me there. <laughs> Not in heaven, I mean, they're not going to focus on me. I'm going to be in heaven, I mean, by faith. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that you're a false preacher. But um, <laughs> cancel, cancel in Jesus' name. But so the focus or attention is going to be on no person. It's going to just be the name of Jesus. Amen. 100% attention. I think is we're also going to be productive. How many of you want to rule over the Chinese in heaven? I mean, we're going to rule over nations. and Okay, just cancel, cancel, okay? But the amazing thing is, is like pure attention. I wonder if you, if there's not going to be marriage, are you going to recognize your wife? You're going to live in one mansion and you're going to wave to your wife in the other mansion and say, hi, he's still on the throne. Everything we're doing in this life is practice for eternity. Everything we're doing in this life is practice for eternity. But I really challenge you to go home and go and think, think about this. Sometimes, like for me, God had to take me to Burundi where there's nothing. And just lie there and the spiders fall on your face in the middle of the night. And the ants creep up on you and you're just like, oh, you know. You know? But praise God for... Chemical warfare, we were just a group of men, so there were lots of chemical warfare that killed all the spiders and the stuff. But so, they may, you're going to get that later, at least Ben, you get that. Eh? Okay, so, because we ate a lot of beans. Okay, so just, I'm not going to go too much into the detail, you know. But so, <clears throat> lying there in the middle of the night, you think like, is the spider going to drop on your face or what's, what's going to walk over you tonight, you know. There's like these big lizards that just drew people out of the house and then we found them in the field. No, that's a joke. That's a joke. Okay, but so, just like pure Africa, you know. <laughs> but the great thing is, you know, 
when you're completely out of your comfort zone, and it was actually so funny, I was thinking a lot about that, because the first night we were flying from Rwanda to Burundi, and, and because of the layover, they, they put us in this four-star hotel, almost five-star, this fancy buffet, and this like big bed, you know, and all this stuff, this amazing hotel. I've, I don't think I've ever been in a hotel like that. You know, and so we're lying there and we're enjoying every moment. And as I'm, I'm, we're busy eating and stuffing ourselves and like, you know, then I realize like, Lord, this is going to be a setup. This, this has never happened before, but I realize there's something coming. The next day up in the bush, you know, I walked with my long pants and my fancy church shoes for 20 kilometers, you know. But it's, it's, just, it's just so amazing when, it, when you really understand the, the riches of Christ and the riches of the gospel and the riches of what we truly have. And this brings me to the, this next one in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul writes about this and I says, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you, even with my own abilities, with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, he says, I determined, I've set my mind, I've got a singleness of mind when I come to you. Same word, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words or of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think I figured a bit out, you know, with somebody like Um Angus, the, the reason why there can be so much power through his life is because of a consecrated life and because of a simplistic life, a sim simple way of living. Because when I met him in 1997, he's still living in the same house. He had to fight with his trustees for almost two years that they could just buy him a second-hand um, fortuner because his old condo was falling apart. And so there's this massive testimony. He was driving up to Durban with a, and there was this lady, this Muslim lady that was trying to take him out and all that stuff. In, on, I think it was carte blanche or whatever. And so he was driving in this condo. So him and his wife was driving to this big King's Park outreach with thousands of people there but he's driving his own car his old condo and this lady came with all the difficult questions and she was going to take him apart there's a massive traffic jam outside of the stadium and it so happened that this interviewer got stuck in traffic next to um angus's condo but he didn't know it was her but they were driving like stop start stop start stop start into the thing and so after this massive outreach with thousands of people, she was going to interview him with these difficult questions. And then when they sat there, she said, Mr. Bucken, I thought you were fake. But I was stuck in traffic with you. And I saw what you drove. And I saw how you treated your wife and your children in the car. And then I realized you're real. You're the real deal. I'm canceling all my questions. I thought like, wow, what a setup from the Lord and what a testimony. See, because people are looking for what is authentic in your life. They're not looking for a religious Jesus. They're not looking for a fake Jesus. They're not looking for a, just a quick fix and a come in and a go out 
of churches. They're looking for transformed lives, people that reflect the character of Christ and the love of Christ. And so we have to battle with our culture and realize there's a lot of our culture that is anti-community, anti-living family together. It's individualistic. It's me, myself, but it's going to rob you. It's going to corrupt your mind completely. Because then at the end of, the li- of your life, you come out and you realize, like, I really, I've really placed value on the wrong things. I've shifted from the true riches, the unsearchable riches in Christ to something else, a quick fix, an instant lifestyle that is so empty and I'll never have enough. So my question again is, is Jesus enough? Because we can also take it spiritual. Because we see a lot of people running after the supernatural or the next breakthrough or the next prosperity. And then we ask the question, is Jesus enough or are you pursuing miracles? Because even Jesus said a miracle is not going to change you. You ask for a miracle, but it's not going to change your heart. If your heart is in the right place, it will. But if your heart is pursuing the miracle more than the miracle worker, you're in trouble. If you're pursuing the healing more than the healer, you're in trouble. If you're pursuing the breakthrough more than the one who gives the breakthrough, we're in trouble. So we're ending off this series by a massive challenge. How do we break these cycles? Well, very simple. Learn to reflect the character of Christ. And you actually have to learn to put your value in the true spiritual riches. (laughs) You have to make a point of that. And that's why communion is so important. That's why sitting around the table of the Lord and reminding ourselves. That's why sharing your testimony regularly with people. That's why sharing the gospel with others is so important in your life because it will set you free. But most Christians, 80% of Christians never share the gospel. They never share the testimony of Christ with other people. Why? Because they've been entrapped in this world. And they're conforming because everyone is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Just be tolerant. Don't ever share. Don't be bold. Oh, and it's definitely not part of your personality to share with anybody else about Jesus. But what have you traded? You've traded the riches of Christ. And so Jesus actually gets very tense on this. And he says, but if you deny me before men, I am going to deny you before the Father. And he's not saying that he's like rejecting you and kicking out of heaven. He says just, your request cannot reach heaven. I can't intercede for you in heaven. I can't stand in that place when you trade. And the fear of man becomes the center. And we see it all over the world. People are compromising. People are walking away from the power of the word and the power of God and the presence of God will not be evident. And so then we can go on with consumer church. Yes, it will go on for long because it just becomes just as religious. But see, when you preach the word straight, do you know what begins to happen? The security guard that is just there for her work. She gets encountered by the presence of God. The guy who walks into that place because God feels welcome. His life changed. He begins to weep uncontrollably. Why? Because there's a consecrated space. There's a consecrated vessel for the Lord to come and heal. And see, when we place our value there, 
and we'll see the power of God. When we make that shift, and it's a huge shift for all of us. I'm not saying, hey, go sell all your possessions. Maybe God says that, but I, all I'm just saying is like, make the shift. And you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to actually give you an opportunity to take communion together, to pray over these things this morning, and to share our hearts. Maybe you need deliverance this morning from just this world, just the cares of this world and the stuff that enters in. But more than speaking against stuff, let's place our value again and say, wow, Lord, we worship you. True riches of God. And listen to this, how, how in Second Corinthians, that same book, a couple of chapters on, after Paul says about the riches of the gospel and how he's fighting and contending with the church, because they were a charismatic church. They were a church that loved the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were really going for it. And sort of he gives a thanksgiving because there was something in their hearts that started to open up. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5 to 8, he says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to get, go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. So he says, like, doesn't say what the gift is, but he says, like, wow, these guys, are, they, they've, they've actually put such a value on giving <laughs> that they went beforehand to go and prepare the gift, which you had previously promised that it may be really as a matter of generosity and as not as grudging obligation. He says, hey, because even my giving... It's not because of obligation. But this I say, you who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly, and you who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That same word, generosity, comes up all the time. So he says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, because it's a heart issue, not grudgingly, grudgingly or of necessity. So some people say, yeah, yeah, I must give, I must love, because God says I must do so. <laughs> That's grudgingly. Some people give out of necessity. Well, I want to be blessed and I want to have a nice, and, and you know what, the, the Bible says so, and that's what Christians do. So, so, so it's necessary for us to give because you know what, the church also needs finances. So, da, 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 so I, I give out of necessity. But then it says, yeah, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able. Because what happens when you start to reflect that thing that goes against the culture? God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Because God's heart is not stingy. He actually wants you to live with abundance. So there's a part of the prosperity gospel that is true, but it's talking about riches first, not about natural things first. That you have an abundance to give. You're away from the distractions and stuff because hey, you become a minister of the gospel. So I've got three things, homework for each one. First, for the families. At the beginning, I asked you to do one thing. Once a month, invite another family or people in church to dinner or to lunch. And just serve them and host them and love them. Get to know them. Once a month, as a family, or if you're a student, do that. Just invite somebody else and treat them. Just learn to open up your home. Because through that, your heart will also open up. The second thing is to begin to pray. Because your prayer life will reflect whether you're a generous giver. And stop praying for yourself. 
pray for the needs around you. And the third one is, before June, give me one name of one person you are actively discipling. They don't need to be saved at your workplace, at your faculty, one name. Everyone in church must become a minister of the gospel. One person that you are praying for, one person that you are actively going to walk a road with, open your heart to, to be able to give. Because at the heart of a generous people is people that disciple others. Because you've opened up your heart, you've opened up your home, you've opened up your life to become to give. Maybe you have received Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.